The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, we jump into Behind the Music Part 4 today. And, um, you know, I've been loving this series because specifically in Behind the Music, we're sitting here talking about the, the, the lyrics and the music and the stories behind some of the greatest songs in, in Christian history when it comes to worship. And so um, in week one, we started with a traditional hymn from the 1700s called Come Thou Fount. And again, some of those lyrics, because that is one of the most sung hymns over the last couple of hundred years, um, we tackled that one. In Snohomish, we had Baptism Sunday in Marysville. And then in Snohomish, that same week, because they didn't do Baptism Sunday, um, they tackled a song called Shout to the Lord. Many of you know the song Shout to the Lord. Some of you don't, but it really is a powerful worship song that comes out of the early to mid-1990s Australia Hillsong Church and kind of the explosion of worship in the Hillsong Church. Um, And so that's an incredible song. And then last week, At both campuses, we talked about the song Heart of Worship, and that comes out of 1999, and Matt Redman um, was the worship pastor at a church in the UK, and his pastor just kind of felt like the church itself had sort of grown um, cold in worship and just kind of going through the motions, and so they stripped back all of the the instruments and and, and stuff and really just focused on what does it look like for you and I to to simply have a heart of worship, to to simply uh, allow worship to be between us personally and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So that was a great message. And you can always go back at grove.church, click on the media link and listen or watch those messages. But today um, I get to talk about one of my favorite kind of new worship songs. And we're gonna get into that in a few minutes. But we're gonna be looking at Daniel chapter three. So um, if you got a Bible there where you're at, go ahead and open it up to Daniel chapter three. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app or a Bible app at all, um, go ahead and look up Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to jump in. But the backstory of the book of Daniel really takes place back in um, you know, 605 BC specifically. I mean, it's a window of time, but um, during that period of time, Israel and, Ju- Israel and Judah were two different nations, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom, and, and um, they had split. And, and what happened was there was wicked kings that were rising up, and the Lord had said over and over, if you're not going to serve me, you're going to suffer the consequences. And so when we get to the opening of the book of Daniel, it's really a, a, a book about the prophet Daniel who reveres and honors God, and yet him and a group of his friends are taken into captivity in Babylon. This is before the actual exile of Israel and Judah. Those, those exiles happen in 597 BC, and then a little bit later after that, 586 BC, um, both nations were completely taken into exile, or both kingdoms, northern and southern, were taken into exile. So we pick up Daniel chapter 1 and 2 is really the story of Daniel and these friends, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are whisked off to Babylon, and they're trained in Babylon, and they kind of walk through an interview process almost literally with some of the rulers in Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually have great favor, and they look at them and go, wow, these guys are real smart, and, and man, they'd be great leaders, and they put them in charge of certain areas of the kingdom of Babylon. And then we get to chapter 3, um, there was a dream that happened, and Daniel interprets the dream, and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is amazed at that, and, and again, Daniel has a lot of favor. Well, when we get to chapter 3, something kind of strange happens, and it goes like this, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet 
tall and nine feet wide. And it says they set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then verse two, he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone, verse 6, who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump back into this. God, I pray for every one of us, Lord. As we're hearing this message, processing this information, I pray we would begin to have a greater understanding of what it means, God, to worship, of what it means, Lord, to to, uh, worship and, and specifically be aware that we all will worship something. But help us understand in this text the challenge of what it means to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this king, and this king who knows Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sets up this giant statue and wants everyone to bow down to it. Well, we know that in the nation of Israel, or Israel and Judah in these kingdoms, that they are about you know, bowing down to the Lord alone. Now, the nation had given themselves to worship of all kinds of things, but Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful to the Lord their God and only worship the Lord. So there's a problem here. The king says everybody needs to bow down and anyone who refuses to bow down will be thrown into a blazing furnace. You talk about a guy full of himself. King Nebuchadnezzar was definitely full of himself. And I love, if you continue through the book of Daniel, what you'll find is that Daniel, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is really put in his place in a certain moment. And he becomes somebody who really does fear the Lord. But that's, that's down the road a little ways. What we come to at this point in verse 6 is this, fear forcing people into submission. And the question, just real quick here as we, as we jump in, is simply this. When you and I face a certain trial and there's an emotion that rises up and that emotion is fear, what is it that we're going to do? Because for these individuals, they didn't have to question whether, whether they would bow down or not. They simply decided, we're going to bow down because we're not going to put our lives on the line for anything else. We're just going to bow and it's all going to be good. And whether I agree or not with this random statue that's set up, it doesn't matter. I'm simply going to do this because I fear losing my life in a fiery furnace. And so it's fear that forces them into submission. And it's a great question for you and for me. Situations force us to surrender to fear or anger or disillusionment or whatever. And so what happens is we end up submitting to that fear instead of what God wants from you and from me, and that is surrender to him, trusting that in the midst of the trial or whatever it is that we face, leaning into, okay, God, you got this. Lord, you're in control. Even though it seems like that individual or that situation is overwhelming, God, I believe you're bigger. So it's a question for you and for me. Now look at what happens next. Verse seven says this. So at the sound of the musical instruments, All the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed down to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But, and we'll get to the but in just a second. 
Verse 7 reminds us of a simple truth that Ryan, when he was speaking last week at our Marysville campus, talked about. He said this, we're all going to worship something. And we, we may look at that and go, well, I don't, I don't worship other things. And we would even say for some of us, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I worship the Lord. But, but let me help you understand something about this idea of worship. Because we can worship things like money. We can worship, you know, homes and houses. And we can worship relationships. We can worship addictions. We can worship all kinds of things. The context of worship in this conversation is not what do you bow down and pray towards, even though in the story here in Daniel, that's the context. But worship, I want you to understand this. Worship is this, whatever you prioritize most is what you worship. So if, if, if God is, is what we worship, if we're surrendered to the Lord and, and we say, I worship God and him alone, he is the absolute priority. But sometimes in our lives, and this is a struggle for all of us, sometimes what happens is you and I end up worshiping something else, meaning something else takes priority over our relationship with God and how we trust the Lord. And sometimes what we worship becomes the fear. We fixate on what's wrong. We fixate on the trial. We fixate on what we don't understand about it. We fixate, fixate on the circumstances. And that fear gives way to disillusionment and frustration and futility. And we kind of put God in that second place because those things are taking over. We're worshiping fear. But let me talk about a few other things that it's easy to worship and challenge you why this is a big deal. Let me, let me talk about why, just for a second. When we talk about whatever we prioritize, we worship. We're challenged over and over, and the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, it says, worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. You shall have no other gods before me. So in the Ten Commandments, we're reminded God needs to have first place. He needs to have preeminence. He needs to be the filter for everything else that trickles down to second and third and fourth and fifth place. Another spot, as I mentioned on Baptism Sunday at our Marysville campus, is in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus actually says that you and I need to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. That's that picture again of surrendering our agenda to his agenda. John, a bunch of different times, not only in the gospel of John, but also in 1 John, John says this, if you love me, keep my commands. So it's that idea of, I'm going to surrender to what he has to say beyond what I feel or what I think. And then in 1 John, and this is chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says this, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commands, that person is a liar and the truth is not living in him. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. So over and over, and I just grabbed a few verses, but over and over from Old Testament to New Testament, you and I are challenged to live in a place of surrender that God has preeminence, first place in our lives. So let me ask you a simple question. What is your greatest priority? What is the thing that you prioritize most in your life? Because in the world that you and I live in, in the context today that you and I live in, it's really easy to prioritize things like comfort. And you go, well, what do I mean by that? Let me ask you a few questions when it comes to the word comfort in your life. 
Do, do you struggle and you don't like it when you're invited to do something out of your comfort zone? Would you say these statements are true? I regularly shy away from things I don't like. Would you say I get my way a lot more than I probably should? Would you say people don't correct me because of my inability to respond maturely? Would you say I have a hard time remembering the last time I did something for the first time? And if any of those statements you lean towards, yeah, that's probably true, you might want to filter through, do you prioritize comfort over God's plan that sometimes can be risky, that can sometimes be uncomfortable? Do you prioritize comfort over what God wants for your life? Another one, happiness. It's kind of familiar or similar to comfort, but it's not the same thing. And in the world that you and I live in, and even in some of our founding documents as a nation in the United States of America, we talk about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And it's not that happiness is a terrible thing, but if you and I prioritize happiness over every other thing in our lives, then that becomes a problem. Now, let's go back to the statements that if you resonate with some of these statements, this might help you understand, you know what? I probably prioritize happiness over what God has for my life. Here, here's some of those statements. I ignore certain things that I know would be good for me because I know they would be hard to do. Here's another one. I refuse to think about the big questions of life. Why am I here? What am I created for? How can I add purpose to this world? I avoid thinking about the big questions in life. I frequently steer away from sad or difficult things because it's easier. Okay, specifically there, I, I um, frequently steer away from sad or difficult things because it's easier. Now, let me continue that sentence because that's not the end of it. Instead, I find silly or comedic shows or videos or jokes that make me feel good. Again, maybe you prioritize happiness over what God actually has for your life. Here, here's one, money. And, and money's a touchy one. And I'm here talking to you as a pastor. We're going to bring up money. And some of you guys go, oh, here we go. But, but let me just, again, go back to here's some statements that if these resonate with you, you might consider maybe I prioritize money, the dollar, whatever, over what God has for my life. Here's some. The list of things I want keeps me from being generous when I know I could. And you go back, let me repeat that. The list of things I want keeps me from being generous when I know that I could. Here's another one. I very frequently think about making more money or fantasize about if I won a bunch of money, what I would do. Okay, again, that's a frequent one, okay? I, I very frequently think about making more money or fantasize about if I won a bunch of money, what I would do. Here's another question, again, money related, a statement. I have savings or retirement or investment accounts, and when they dip, I get depressed or angry and let it affect my mood and then the relationships around me. Okay, let me, let me go over that one again. I have savings, and it may not be a lot, maybe, maybe it is. I have savings or investment or retirement accounts that when they take a dip, you see the stock market or housing market, or when they take a dip, I allow it to affect my mood and the relationships around me, okay? And then this one, thinking about money. I don't give financially to, the, to support the church's effort to reach out to this world. 
It's just a simple question because when we talk about maturity, when we talk about you and I growing in maturity, part of growing in maturity is realizing all the resources I get from the work I do diligently or whatever, I want to carve out of some of those and I want to be generous towards kingdom work. If you would say, I don't give financially to support the church's effort to reach out to the world, that's another issue for you that maybe you prioritize money over what God has for your life couple of others, and I know this is kind of a list here. Um, let's talk about love and romance and, and that kind of thing. Again, we can get a little uncomfortable here, but here's some, some statements that if they resonate with you, you might want to reconsider that you prioritize this romantic kind of love world over what God has for you. Here's a couple. I'm not married, and I'm currently in a dating relationship with someone that I know doesn't fit what God wants for me. Let me repeat that. I'm not married and I'm currently in a dating relationship with someone that I know doesn't fit what God wants for me. Maybe it's somebody who isn't a follower of Christ, has a different belief system, but you're kind of going, yeah, but I like him. I'm attracted to him. I, you know, I like to hang out with him or whatever. Or maybe it's somebody that pushes boundaries that you're not comfortable with physically, but you're like, oh, well, I love him. And I'm, if I don't, maybe they'll walk away and that's not okay. Um, so maybe it's that. Here's another one. I make excuses for overstepping boundaries because it feels good. Talking about romantic relationships and boundaries and makeout sessions and what you do with your hands and everything else, okay? Here it is. I make excuses for overstepping boundaries because it feels good. Here's another one. I'm married and I entertain thoughts or actions that aren't helping me be faithful to my wife or to my husband, okay? Here it is. I'm married and I entertain thoughts or actions that aren't helping me be faithful to my wife or to my husband, to my spouse, okay? Another one. I'm living in a way relationally that is not what the scriptures encourage or support. I'm living in a way relationally that uh, is not what the scriptures encourage or support. And then maybe you make this excuse, but I can't help it. Or, well, it's okay. Or, well, we might get married, so that's not a big deal. Okay, maybe what hap what's happening here is you're prioritizing your, your passion for love or your want for a relationship over God's design for that relationship. Here's another one, and I'm going to wind this down here, but, but let's talk for a minute about habits and addictions. This goes back to this whole question of, are you prioritizing something else above what God wants? Because that becomes what you worship. Habits or addictions. Do you do something unhealthy and think or say to yourself or others, I can't help it, okay? Do you do something unhealthy and think or say to yourself or to others, I can't help it? Another question, is there a substance you feel like you can't live without? Do you spend an unhealthy amount of time or money or energy on something that isn't good for you? Do you spend an unhealthy amount of time or money or energy on something that isn't good for you? Is a habit or addiction hindering your ability to have a good relationship or even destroying what relationships you do have? I'll read that one one more time. Is a habit or addiction hindering your ability to have good relationships or even destroying the relationships that you do have. Now, I bring up all of these, and we could go on and on and on, and this could be a big kind of 
study in psychology and what's going on. But here's the thing. Going back to this story, the simple truth is we're all going to worship something. And here's King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I want everyone to bow down. And, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in a moment, we're going to get to it, are going to take a stand. But everyone else bows down. Everyone else really in fear for their lives, knowing, well, if I do this, I'm going to end up in a fiery furnace, so I better bow down. They all choose to do that. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego take another route. And that's where we're going to get into the good part of the story. Verse eight. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They're tattletales. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the statue when they hear the sound of the instruments. And I'm going to fast forward. It says that decree also states, that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But, verse 12, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Okay, Houston, we have a problem. The tattletales come along and they observe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to the statue and they run and tell them they're not bowing down and this is where it gets really interesting. Verse 13, then King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that these guys be brought before him. They come up to him, and he brings, he, he brings up this question. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow and worship the statue that I made. But if you refuse, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? That's a moment. Let me ask you a simple question. What would you say? What if that was you standing before a king that literally had a fire set up just beyond you know, the, the conversation saying, hey, look, you're going to bow down to this giant statue, but if you don't, there's where you're headed. What would you say? And at the very end of this little speech that he gives them, he challenges their belief system by asking or, or by challenging or by asking this question. And then what God will be able to rescue you. Now, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. I love how you and I are challenged constantly with what are we going to worship? And these guys in, in, in the midst of a tough situation, keep their heads on straight. Do you believe God really is who he says he is? Because this is the moment where, hey, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? And here's their response in Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, and their reverence, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the statue you have set up. 
You talk about a bold response to a moment where their life is on the line. You talk about a bold response to a king who is literally saying, if you don't do this, your moments from being dead, what do you want to do? And in the history of the world, persecuted Christians have had to face moments like this. And for you and I, where we live in the United States of America, we don't face persecution like this. We feel uncomfortable bowing in prayer in a restaurant with our family to give God thanks for providing a meal to eat. We feel uncomfortable with our neighbor asking us, do you go to church? We, we feel uncomfortable for, for things that we don't even need a spine to be able to stand up for. And here these guys are, along with persecuted Christians all over the world, even as we speak right now, and even as you're listening to what I'm saying right now, this is happening. And I love the courage of these guys that are declaring, and it's a song that we sing currently, my God is greater, my God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, awesome in power. It's amazing how they knew what to say. And it's only, I believe, the power of the Holy Spirit helping them understand God is a great God. Now, I love this because they declare, look, you want to throw us in there? God is going to be with us and he's going to deliver us. God's going to take care of it. And you and I go, well, yeah, but, but what if he doesn't? Well, good news is that's addressed right here. Look at verse 18. If you got your Bible app open or you got your Bible open right here and you're, you're checking out the pages, maybe you got a highlighter or a pen or something, underline, highlight this verse, verse 18. But even if he doesn't, my God is big enough to heal. My God is big enough to deliver. My God is big enough to provide. My God is big enough to do things we could never explain because my God is amazing. He's the creator of the universe. In him, all things hold together. He is who he is. I am that I am. That's the God that you and I serve. But here's the thing. There are things you and I pray for all the time and we take a bold stance in intercession and we take a bold stance in fasting and we ask God for miracles and we believe God will do incredible things. But even if he doesn't, here's the answer. I will never bow down to fear. I will never give in to situations. I will never allow those things to overshadow who my God is. And that's a challenge for you and that's a challenge for me. And yet I wanna be able to stand every day and declare God is greater than anything I face. But even if I'm not delivered out of this, even if things don't turn out my way, even if things don't go amazingly well, I'm still not bowing to those things. I still believe he's the God on the throne every day single day. Let's get back to the story. It says Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that he turned the furnace up hotter and hotter. He became distorted with rage. He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace. Listen, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because this king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the, the roaring flames. This isn't good. This, this turns out as bad as it could for this moment. God doesn't somehow block them from getting thrown in. They get thrown in. Now, a miracle is about to happen. Watch this, verse 24. But suddenly, 
Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of a god. That's the miracle. You read the story, that's amazing. But here's something you need to know. There's something that that we call in, in Christianity, Christophanies. And Christophanies are appearances of the Messiah or the Savior in the Old Testament. And this is one of those rare moments where as King Nebuchadnezzar is looking into the fire, assuming those guys would be melted and dead and done and gone, and yet what he sees is that, I don't know why they're walking around, but they're walking around. I don't know if they're following each other, follow the leader, or, or Christ is leading them in a procession. I don't know exactly the details of why that's happening, but I do know this. Jesus is with them. The Christ appears right here with them. And it's something for you and I to remember that when when we face trials of many kinds, which we will, James 1 says we're going to face trials. In 1 Peter 1, it talks about the trials that we face that are like a refiner's fire. We're going to face them. But I encourage you to always remember that Jesus doesn't walk away from you. That even in the trials that hurt so bad, and I've been through some of them, and you've been through some of them, and I hate them. It's painful. It's brutal. You can't sleep sometimes. You don't have an appetite. You're going through the ringer and you can't function like you wish you could. And yet the reminder that I had to give myself as I walked through certain trials in my life is that Jesus, I don't like this, but I also am glad you're with me. And I really want to encourage you that that's all the difference. That for you and I to to realize we're going to face stuff. And I'm sorry that we have to face stuff, although I also know that they are character builders that they are forcing us towards maturity, that they are breaking us of our selfishness, that they're doing things that that we could never do if everything were always fine, if we were always given to happiness and comfort. And yet I love that Jesus reminds us, I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I want you to remember that wherever you're at right now, because to me that is so unbelievably important in a world that we're going to go through trials in. So as the story kind of winds down here, it says Nebuchadnezzar calls them out of the fire and they walk up and it says that, that they saw their, their clothes weren't even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke and the king is all of a sudden repenting to them. And again, they stood strong and got to see an incredible miracle because they refused to bow down. But, but the story's awesome because as it ends, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than worship or serve any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn This is rough. They'll be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. You talking about face from when he's yelling at them and saying, what God could rescue you from how amazing I am? I mean, moments before they're in the fire, that was literally what he said. Who's gonna rescue you now? Look at how powerful I am. I'm the king of Babylon. And yet now he's saying, there's no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions. 
in the province of Babylon. That's the context of a song that I've really been loving lately. And it's called another in the fire. And I don't mean to get emotional, but, but, um, we picked this song as part of this series because I think it's been a really meaningful song for the Grove Church, um, but also for some of us individually as I'm driving in my car and listening to it or I'm in my office praying or wherever I'm at, just spending some time in prayer. To me, this is a really powerful song. And it has everything to do with the fact that even though we're going to get thrown into the fire at times, there's another there. But what I also learned after we picked this song is the story behind this song. And it's a couple of guys at Hillsong, but one of them in particular that um, was talking about that his son was actually going through some ailments that, that weren't being figured out, that he wasn't healed. And, and he was praying, God, please heal my son. Please do this work. And, and, and I couldn't help but think of, you know, in all that we face and all that, that we're, you know, experiencing at the Grove Church, man, it's a great reminder that, that, I think God put it in our hearts to make this part of our series because we all need to be reminded in the midst of the things that we face that there is another in the fire. And as he talks about the writing of this song, he talks about, about um, hey, and all that's happening, I'm going to believe that God is here. But I also love that in the song, the first time they, they performed it or, or sung it in their church, they actually had an impromptu moment where it wasn't in the song written for, at first, but it is now where he talks about, but even if he doesn't, and you could actually see a video of it on YouTube. And it's pretty powerful where he tells the story of the struggle with the son's health and the reminder of leaning into faith. But when he talks about that moment, him and, and uh, Joel Houston were on stage and he's singing, but even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, and it's that reminder, God is our deliverer. God is powerful and awesome. And we pray for all kinds of things, believing God's going to move amazingly. But it is that reminder, even if he doesn't, it doesn't mean he's gone. It doesn't mean he's far away. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. And it's a great reminder for you and me today. So I want to encourage you to, to consider whether you got Spotify or maybe you have Hillsong, iTunes, whatever, um, to download that song and to listen to that song and to take in those lyrics that remind us in the midst of all that goes on, that there is a God who loves us enough that Christ has paid the price for our sin, has dealt with rebellion, has relationship with us in his great love and care for every one of us. And he walks with us whether we're in the fire or not. So I want to pray today. God, thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, for your power in our hearts and lives. And I pray that we would remember as we think about certain lyrics that we sing, that there is another in the fire. Let us be reminded in the trials that we face that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we could bow down to fear. We could bow down to intimidation. We could bow down to feeling overwhelmed. But instead, what does it look like for us to stand strong, believing you're with us? And that just because you're silent doesn't mean you're absent. And to remember what you did in the light, even though we feel like right now we're in the dark. God, thank you for being all we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.